Welcome to Good Enough Parenting, the place where not-so-perfect parents tune in to be reminded that our kids are going to be okay, even if we don't always know what we're doing, are making a million mistakes, and trying new things. I'm Carly Aroldi, a family play therapist, childhood mental health expert, and good enough mom of two. I may be the expert in childhood mental health, but you are the expert on your kid. And by combining my practical, peaceful parenting tools with everything you already know about your child, you and your family will experience more calm, more connection, and more cooperation in your daily life. So let's throw out the idea of the perfect parent and remember that our kids just need us to be good enough. Because if you don't feel like yelling at your kids sometimes, you're not spending enough time with them. Let's jump in. Hi, good enough parents. Welcome back. A few weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, I'm not sure. My, um, as I get older, my concept of time gets slipperier and slipperier. Um, but I talked about how we don't want to teach our kid to swim when they're drowning, which basically means when our kid is in the middle of a big meltdown or a big tantrum or just overwhelmed by these big feelings, that is not the time to intervene. That is not the time to teach a lesson, to use logic. But I had parents reach out to me, rightfully so, to say, okay, I get it. When my kid is in full-on meltdown mode, I calm, I connect, and I comfort. When do I teach these lessons? When do, when do I get back into that? And so I wanted to come on today to share a little bit about how it looks to teach the lessons and what you can do in those moments before the meltdown. So before I jump into that, I just want to give a quick 30-second primer again on brain development and what is happening in our kids and adult brains when we have big floods of emotions. Big concepts are just to think about we have three levels of our brain. We basically have what I call a basement brain, which is a primal brain, which is um, activated when we're really emotional or really dysregulated. And that's when kids are having meltdowns, spitting, kicking, yelling, screaming. They're in primal mode. The next level up is the midbrain. This is actually where a lot of the magic happens. And that's where kids, they're not full on meltdown, but they might be like cranky, a little, you know, pushing people's buttons. I don't want to do that. Or you can't make me like that kind of like tone language. They might also get kind of hyper and they might kind of get like a little bit manic and playing baby. But that's more midbrain stuff, right? They're not totally dysregulated, but they're not feeling great either. They're in their midbrain. And then you have their upstairs brain. And that's when they're calm and they're connected and they're playful. That's when they're available for the learning, right? So we have these three levels of our brain. And at any moment as adults, we're typically in our what I call upstairs brain. But kids are fluctuating brain levels all the time. So one thing is to teach this to our kids, that sometimes when we're feeling really good, we're considered in our upstairs brain. And when we're having a really hard time, we're in our downstairs brain. And then a really simple way to help them understand this is, can you draw a picture for me, right? I do this with kids that are four or five and obviously older, but you can start young. Can you draw a picture for me of what it feels like when you're in your upstairs brain? How does it feel? I've had kids draw things from like rainbows and butterflies to hugging mom, to flowers, to oceans, clouds, whatever. How does it feel for you when you're in your upstairs brain and we're feeling good and we're connected as a family? Then how does it feel for you when you're in your downstairs brain? I've had kids draw storm clouds. I've had kids draw volcanoes, um, you know, devils. I've had some really fun pictures come out with the upstairs, downstairs brain activity. So this is a way that we're actually teaching the lesson to our kid of sometimes we're going to be up here and sometimes we're going to be down here. 
And that is human. That is a human process. And you can do it parallel to them for yourself. Be like, hey, this is what my upstairs brain looks like. This is what my downstairs brain looks like. You can do like family pictures of it. So we start to externalize the experience. It doesn't become this feeling of, oh, I'm a bad kid or I'm a bad person because I had a hard time. It is, oh, this is a natural human thing to have happen and everyone experiences it. And I can kind of visualize what it's like when I'm in these different areas. So that's a good starting point. Then I would even introduce to your kids, again, even as young as like four, sometimes even three, depending on what their development looks like. We also have the staircase, right? We have the staircase and the staircase is going to help us figure out, should we go up or should we go down? And your staircase has an alarm system in it. And that alarm system is letting you know kind of which direction to go. If the alarms aren't going off, then your brain's going to go upstairs. If the alarms start to go off, boom, it's going to the basement for protection. So in, you know, brain science, this is the amygdala. That's a really important part of our brain. That is what we consider our alarm system. But for a kid, you can say, what does your amygdala look like? What does it feel like? And sometimes kids will draw like a guard dog. For themselves. Sometimes they'll draw just like police cars to keep everybody safe. And sometimes they have to, their amygdala gets really activated. We actually use that language in our own house. Like, oh, I can feel like your amygdala is getting really activated right now. And again, what this does is it helps kids externalize, oh, I'm not just freaking out because I'm a bad kid. There's something in my brain that's telling me, be afraid, be angry, be scared. So then after they have a picture of that, you can kind of ask them, hmm, I wonder what gets the dog barking. I wonder what sets off the sirens. And when you get them thinking about that, what you're doing then is they're tuning into their triggers. They're tuning into like, well, I know my dog starts barking when so-and-so takes my toy away from me. Or I know my alarms go off when that baby is crying. (laughs) I hear that a lot. Or I know that it goes off when mom tells me I have to turn the TV off. Yes, I can imagine. So this idea is you're teaching them what is activating to them. That is such a life skill. Do this with your kids. Because if you're parallel in doing this with them, you can kind of share, hmm, I know mommy's alarm system starts to go off when the house is really messy. Oh, I know. And it's my alarm system. I know my dog starts barking when I feel like we're running late. Oh, and I start to get all stressed, right? So you're kind of teaching them to this mindfulness. You're teaching them the self-awareness and also that it's going to be different for everybody. Like my husband can walk in the house. He don't care that the house is messy. I don't see it. I, I would like his blinders the next time in my next life. I would like to come on with those blinders because it doesn't activate him. But our kids not having dinner or not eating what's been prepared, that is very activating. So this idea that we have our own triggers, that our kids have their own triggers, and the more the younger they are when they can realize things that bother them, make their alarm system go off, have them go into their downstairs brain, whew, that's a life lesson right? And again, this is going to work a percentage of the time. It's not going to be like your kid's at the store and wants a toy and you're like, oh, I see your amygdala is getting activated. And they're going to be like, 
girl, I want that toy. Like, give it to me. So we're, these are big concepts that we're introducing at young ages so that they can develop their coping skills throughout time. It's not a magic wand, right? It's not going to be like, well, my four-year-old still screams when their brother takes their toy. It's like, yeah, of course they do. But as we talk about it outside of those moments, those moments become less intense. Hoping this makes sense. Um, So that's the idea of teaching them about the upstairs brain, teaching them about the downstairs brain, teaching them about their alarm system in their brain. This is also really good for kids with anxiety. So let's say, you know, you're at a a park and there's a ride and your kid kind of wants to go on it, but they're also really, really scared. You can use some of this language, right? Ooh, it feels like this ride is telling the dog to bark in your brain. What can we tell the dog? We can tell the dog the ride is safe. We can tell the dog that we've got seatbelts and whatever X, Y, or Z you want to kind of tell the dog. But again, this intervention only works in the midbrain. It's not going to work when they're full on meltdown. It's not going to work when they're just like on the floor screaming, crying. That's when we're calm and that's when we provide connection. So I'll often have parents ask me, well, how do I know when my kid is in their midbrain? And that's when I can say, you slow down enough and you pause for yourself so you're in tune to what's going on with them. And it might be they're playing with a sibling or it might be they're playing with a friend and you just hear a tone of voice change. And it might be like, give me that, give me that, I want that. That's the midbrain talking, right? It might be they're working on homework and you might be in another room and all of a sudden you hear like a, a fist pound or you might hear like a frustration. That's the midbrain talking. That's when we can intervene successfully. And what do we do in those moments, right? Well, we tend to kind of, you know, sometimes you can let it play out and see if it starts to go further in one direction. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. For a younger kid, you're going to want to intervene earlier. For an older kid, you might want to see where it plays out. But you can kind of jump into um, one, one intervention I really like is called watch the rainbow. So for a kid, even like three, four or five, if you're sensing a shift in the midbrain, and again, your parental instincts will tell you this, we are creatures that have evolved together to read each other's like energetic states, you will know when this is happening. So you might connect with your kid and say, "Ooh, let's do the rainbow right now. The rainbow is look around the room. Let's see. Can we find something red? Ooh, great. Can we find something orange, yellow, green? What looking for the rainbow is, it grounds us in our body, takes us out of that emotional space and provides a little mindfulness in the moment. So we're not so caught up in our own thoughts and feelings. That's a great intervention for kids that are really young. It might also be a moment where you kind of grab them to roughhouse a little bit. A lot of times roughhousing is when a kid is scooching into their downstairs brain if we get physical with them. Sometimes it's um, there's a great thing you can do, which is karate chop pillows. Like you hold a pillow out and ask a kid to karate chop it as hard as they can. Hold the pillow out, karate chop it as hard as they can. That gets some of that energy out, that roughhousing. It might be that deep pressure. You might kind of wrestle with them. Those kind of techniques and interventions help a kid move up in their brain rather than down. Another thing is just trying to get them to slow their own self down. So one thing we can do is when we make eye contact with our kids, 
again, depends on the kid, but eye contact can often be very regulating. So I might get close to my kid or a kid that I'm working with that's having a hard time and we'll do like a staring contest and then we'll put our hands on our own heart to see if we can get our heartbeat to slow down. Right. So as we're looking at each other, hands on your heart. If it's your own kid, you can put your hand on their heart, ask them to put their hand on your heart and say, "Ooh, do you think we can work to get our hearts to beat at the same time? Let's see. And then maybe you tap chest as the heart is beating and you notice that it's slowing as you're looking at each other and as you're breathing together. So those are all ways that we intervene when our kid is in the midbrain because it'll help them again we're lending our calm to them we're regulating them to help them move upstairs instead of downstairs so that's a little review of how to teach the lessons when kids are in a different brain state and sometimes we'll want to introduce this stuff when they're fully kind of regulated and sometimes we can wait until they're in that mid space but again we're never going to do this stuff when they're fully meltdown because we don't want to use a lot of language in those moments because language is actually more activating to them Woo! this was a lot today little brain science little techniques hope it resonates with everybody reach out if you're trying some of this stuff and it's working or it's not working please reach out carly council's facebook instagram and i look forward to talking again soon thanks for listening to good enough parenting if you'd like to learn four simple play therapy techniques you can use at home today to create more calm in your family life go to paceparent.com forward slash play to get a free video where I'll teach them to you. And you can always hear more from me at Carly Councils on Facebook and Instagram. And if you like what you heard today, please rate, review, subscribe, and share this episode with a friend, a sister, a spouse, any parent who could use a reminder that our kids don't need us to be perfect, just good enough. Until next time.